Hello to everybody, um, to all those who are part of this family cornerstone, and then to all our friends, um, wherever they may be. It's a great privilege to have you with us. We're going to carry on looking at the gospel of the kingdom. We're on part six at the moment. Um, for two weeks we looked at, we are saved with a purpose or to a purpose. I want to carry on focusing on that to make it a little bit clearer looking at, you know, Paul's uh, defense uh, when he was talking to the hostile crowd in Jerusalem. And um, we'll discover over there uh, the whole purpose of man. You know, as God reveals himself to Paul, he gets a revelation of what he's supposed to do with his life. Now that I'm saved, what do I do? But also in that part of Acts chapter 22, we have a really incredible revelation of the very essence of this gospel of the kingdom. Remember, we're looking at the gospel of the kingdom definitely not as a kind of study to try and get some more knowledge or get a greater understanding. It's so that we can be set free in our, in our understanding to be able to preach this gospel, declare this gospel, live this gospel out, enjoy this gospel. You know, for goodness sakes, I've been saved into this. Let's begin to explore the magnificence of this gospel. Don't know about you. One of my worst subjects, and I'm confessing my sin before you today, at school was English literature. <clears throat> I remember the part about dissecting poems. Um, apparently every word and phrase had some kind of symbolic meaning. You know, when uh, Shakespeare wrote some of, uh, you know, his plays, you know, when the characters were going through bad times, then the weather got bad and everything got bad and so on. I, I don't know, it just straight over my head. But the poet was supposed to have woven into, um, you know, his writing hidden meaning and symbolism and so on. Never got it at all. I really did battle with English literature. But now that I'm born again and I study the Word of God, I can see how masterfully the Spirit inspired every single word that we have in the Bible. And I love it. I love God's Word. And so we are going to dig a little deeper today as we read Acts 22 verses 12 to 16 and verse 21. And from that, we're going to understand the purpose of man as God gave Paul his purpose. Um, his, through those scriptures, we can understand our purpose and we're going to see the very nucleus of this great gospel. So let's read that passage. And one Ananias, this is verse 12 of chapter 22, a devout man, according to the law well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, he said to me. Now remember now, we heard about it when Paul originally got saved. Now later on, this is what Paul can remember about his call. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that, at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, and you, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Of course, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will be my witnesses. 
And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. And verse 21, and he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so that verse 21, the two words go and send apply to all of us. Where? It's going to be depending on God's will for our lives. You know, right through the ages, right from the beginning, when man, from, I believe from when he was kicked out of the garden, there was always this question about what is his purpose? We know in the garden they looked after things. When he got kicked out, purpose was perhaps to come back to God. But let's have a look at a few of the philosophers. Voltaire said, not to be occupied and not to exist are one and the same thing for man. In other words, for Voltaire, who was a critic of Christianity, um, he kind of saw the fact that we were alive when we were busy fulfilling some kind of purpose. And of course, with Christianity, you know, we need to be occupied. Um, occupied there is archaic for being busy with a purpose. You see, God has created us not to sit, but to fulfill some kind of purpose. Ignatius of Loyola, a Spanish theologian, he founded the Jesuit movement. He, he kind of talks about man's purpose as uh, he's created to praise, reverence, and serve God, and by doing so, save his or own soul, her soul. So what he was trying to say over there is, in the Roman Catholic way of understanding, through works we get saved. We know it's through Jesus Christ we get saved. I like the second part of his understanding of the purpose of man. All other things on the face of the earth are created for human beings in order to help them pursue the end for which they were created. So everything, nature, uh, our abilities, whatever we see, this earth, etc., etc., the sky, the stars, and everything is created so that we might understand who Jesus is and then from that get some kind of purpose. And so these are some of the questions that the philosophers have asked. What is the meaning of life? What's it all about? Who are we? Why are we here? What are we here for? What is the origin of life? What is the nature of life? What's the nature of reality? What's the purpose? What's the significance? What's the meaning and the value of life? What is the reason to live? What am I living for? And we know there are volumes. The libraries are full of books written by various experts, you know, kind of trying to help us understand the true meaning of life. And societies are formed, and other religions are formed around these. Uh, uh, you know, today, the kind of evolutionists are trying to tell us it's meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Don't look for some kind of God. Uh, we just evolved. You know, some a meteor came past this planet and smacked into it, and you know we got life from that, or some alien deposited life here. There's no God, and so just enjoy yourself. Have a good time, then you die and you're obliterated. But for me, more and more people are looking for answers to these questions, and this series helps us understand that the gospel of the kingdom is the answer, and we have the privilege of delivering this message to a confused world. You see, outside of that, life doesn't make sense. And we will look, and we will try various things, and they'll all fail. And, but we have to come back to this. And I could be speaking to you know, some of you out there who perhaps at one stage you were a believer, 
And, you know, kind of there was all of that zeal and passion and joy. You got baptized, filled with the Spirit. You were kind of part of a local church. But then for some reason you drifted away. The gospel of the kingdom is the only way to live our lives. And I want to encourage you. It's easy. Come back. Confess that you have drifted and then come back. Accept him again. Uh, enjoy what is yours in Christ. And so we need that conviction that the gospel of the kingdom is the only purpose that we have in this world. Why? Because the gospel focuses us on Christ and what he's busy with today. Uh, the Westminster Catechism, they try to summarize all of Christianity in a few questions. Their first question says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the worship that we had earlier on and the worship we'll continue to have and the worship sh that should take place every day. And the, for me, the underlying statement to every decision I make, everything I do, does this glorify God? Does this marriage glorify God? Does this decision about a job glorify God? Yeah, he does want us to do that. You know, not does this, uh, you know, color shirt glorify God. That's superfluous. You know, wear what you need to wear. Obviously, it needs to be good and proper, uh, not revealing, etc., etc. But the big things, somehow we leave God out of those, and then we kind of get pedantic with the little things. No, let's include him in everything. We want to glorify him. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And tucked away in Paul's call in, in Acts chapter 22 is that. It is to obey God. God created us and surely we should lift up our arms in worship and say, what do you want with this life? And Paul helps us understand that this incredible duty that we have, this purpose to our lives is to see and seek out the righteous one. And so let's read again Acts 22, verses 14 and 15. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We've all been appointed, not just Paul. You know, that passage was a clear understanding of how God can take a person from an incredibly rebellious, um, antagonistic, you know, contrary to God way of life and through a powerful conversion, now set him on a course. And so it is with each of us. God takes me and through my conversion, through me believing in Christ as Lord and Savior, he, he, everything is put in me. He helps me understand this is the purpose you're going to serve now, Marcus. And every single one of us has been created that way. And so if Paul had been wasting all of what God had given him on that kind of country way of life, fighting Christianity. Now that he's born again, he's going to kind of see this message go out in power. And so we've all been appointed. We've all been chosen as instruments, as we heard two weeks ago. What have we been appointed to? And you know, often we kind of think, well, it Obviously, to belong to a church, yeah, that may be part of it. Um, you know, or kind of, you know, some have my name on some church role or 
Yeah, that may be part of it, but the primary thing about this appointing is to know the will of God. The will of God. What is the will of God? That we be born again. What is the will of God? Is that we enjoy our, our, our relationship with Him in worship and that we serve His purposes. And so we are called and appointed to know His will. The purpose of God, His will, is to bless mankind through Christ. That's it. You want to know the will of God? It's to know that God has blessed this world. He's given this world purpose right before the kind of time has begun for us. He'd already purposed that Christ would die on the cross and he would liberate us from sin and we would live in all of what Christ has provided for us, the blessing and the freedom from sin, the justification. We'd live in God's presence because of Christ. And then to know his will, is that God wishes to use us to make his will known to those around us. Not only to enjoy what he's done for us, but to let others know that's the purpose that he's called us to. And then he says, not only to know his will, but to see the righteous one. To see the righteous one. Uh, what does see over there? It, you know, though you have not seen him, you believe in him. So he's not really talking about physical sight. He's talking about the kind of spiritual sight. It's to discern or to perceive clearly. He's called us to see Jesus. He's called us to discern and to perceive who he is, what he has accomplished, what does he mean to me. You see, everything is Christ-centered. Uh, Christianity is not about the preacher. It's not about how famous the church is or the movement is or how great our books are, how good our songs are. It's all about Christ. We, we're at a place now where Jesus is showing us that unless it's about him, it needs to go. He's the center of our lives. He's the center of this church. This isn't Marcus and Adele's church. Often people will say, you know, so how's your church going? Well, I don't have a church. I'm part of a church. I lead an eldership team. It's important. Language is important with this. And too often we know what it's been like with our songs. You kind of, kind of got to think carefully what has been sung. Is Christ really the center? And he needs to be. We need to discern and perceive him. That's our life's purpose, is our pursuit of our relationship with him, to grow in our revelation. But why this revelation? You know, the, it, it could have just said over there to see Jesus, to see Jesus. Now remember, let's go back to my illustration about lit English literature. The Spirit of God has carefully chosen every word to make up Scripture because it has meaning and purpose. And for me, why he chose this revelation of Jesus, the righteous one, is because that is the very essence of the gospel. It's the very central aspect of what it's about. We know for Paul... He did see Jesus. As the twelve saw him, he had this personal revelation of the gospel. And thank God from that, we have Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired writings, and we have a clear understanding of this gospel of righteousness. But I tell you, the kingdom of God is all about righteousness. Jesus is about righteousness. And so, as we come into this kingdom, we need to understand that the gospel is about righteousness imputed, righteousness imparted. Let me try and help us understand this. Um, 
to make justification possible when we were saved, righteousness was imparted, uh, imputed to us. And let me explain what happened. A divine exchange took place. You see, there's nothing good in me. I cannot make the right decisions. I cannot clean myself from sin and sin's consequences. I, I cannot do anything in my power to make me more acceptable to God or better or to kind of enter heaven. There's nothing I can do outside of accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. So what happened is the divine exchange was my sin was imputed to Christ and his righteousness was imputed to me. Divine exchange. Through the cross, he took on my sin and I took on his righteousness. Permanently, I'm now in that place of where the righteous, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. I have been declared free of sin. And Jesus was nailed to that cross and he bore the punishment of separation from God with my sin and your sin. He got it and that's how he was judged and died. And then when he rose from the dead, he arose in new life. And so through what he did, he has given me a new identity, no longer full of sin. That's why this image and this revelation that, that Paul saw is important. The righteousness of God is mine. It makes justification possible. So when God looks at me, he says, you are not guilty. Did I do a single thing for that? Nothing. It was Jesus Christ entirely. Then I have righteousness imparted to me and at salvation, and it makes sanctification possible. Listen to this, 2 Peter 1, 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So saved by grace, I've become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which is awesome. Now, for the rest of this life, is going to be a journey of discovery. As I see the righteous one, I'm going to have revelation of who I am in Christ. And these great and precious promises that I see in the word, I'm going to apply them. And through applying them, I'm going to become more and more like Jesus. You see, that's the whole purpose of my life now, is to become more like him and to tell others about him. And so my hope is that I'll become into, I'll come into the likeness and image of Jesus. I mature and develop. That's the work of sanctification. So justification, righteousness imputed. Sanctification, righteousness imparted. And of course, I have a choice there. I can choose not to become more like Jesus. I can. I can just not read my Bible. I can not apply the scriptures. I can refuse to to kind of obey his word. I can kind of choose to be rebellious. I can do all of that. And so I want to encourage us. In that process, I need to take his word seriously. I need to live in obedience to his word. I need to understand these great and precious promises that are mine. Who am I in Christ Jesus? And become more and more like him. And so that little digression is to help us understand the very essence of the gospel. So Paul is appointed to know God's will, to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, and then to hear a voice from his mouth. Isn't that awesome? And so as we fellowship with Christ, and we know 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Says that to a church that somehow was having church without Jesus. But yes, the promise of Christ to any of us who open that door as he knocks, he's going to come in and he's going to reveal himself to us. We're going to have dinner together. And you know, at dinner he's going to speak to us. We're going to hear his voice. And, and as we hear his voice, we're going to understand his will. And we're going to understand what he's, not only is what he's doing in my life, but what he's called me to. My life's purpose is going to come clear. And so we do that through prayer, through the word, through our relationship with Jesus, through our partnership in local church. We're going to understand what God is saying to us. We see it in the book of Acts. In, uh, and we'll, later on, we'll get to it with Paul. He's in Antioch. And they hear the voice of God speaking. And God says, separate Paul and Barnabas and send them out. That's always the will of God. As we hear him, he's going to give us command and instruction. Not only enjoy and, and apply this gospel, but Marcus, go to the people that I'll send you to. And then, of course, you will be a witness to everyone of what you've seen and heard. Can you see that? I think sometimes our understanding of evangelism is kind of, you know, cold canvassing. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of got nothing to do sometimes with what's going on in me. But I believe the more I see and hear, the more I'm going to want to talk. The more revelation of Christ and His love and His grace and just the wonderful way in which I'm flourishing by what I see and hear, I'm going to want to speak. And so I feel we've got to focus on that. Then witnessing becomes easier. Because the more I fall in love with Jesus, the more I get to know Jesus, the more I kind of explore His goodness and His grace to me. You're not going to be able to keep me quiet. Because when I'm with people, that's the opinion I'm going to want to share. I tell you, I've been found wanting, and I've fallen short in this area. Oftentimes when I'm with people, and you know there's difficult uh, situations talked about, or the status quo of the country, or you know, kind of the economy or whatever it is. I have an opinion. And my opinion should be the Word of God. It should be the Gospel of God. It should be the hope that we have in Jesus first and always. But most times, you know what it is? I have an opinion. You know, the government should do this and the economy needs to do this. And wow, look at the Rand dollar exchange rate. And, you know, we kind of bemoan all of this and global warming and penguins are dying and all sorts. You know, I've got opinions. But that's not important. Because the more I see and hear, you won't stop me with this witness about him. You won't stop me talking about him. And so I want to encourage us to get back to that place of seeing and hearing. I want to see the righteous one. And I want to hear him. Because then it's going to be easier to talk about him. And so this being a witness is an important thing. Witness is simply one who has information or knowledge of something... Therefore, one who can give that information and bring to light or confirm something and announce something to those who don't have that knowledge. And that's the gospel. That's being a witness. That's what it's about. And Acts 1.8 says, I've been given power. Paul was baptizing water filled with the Holy Spirit. He received power. And we have ability through that to be able to do what he's called us to do and be witnesses. And I tell you, the very fact that I'm not a witness shows that my devotion, devotional life is not in order because I'm not seeing and hearing anything. And then I've got to put on 
this cold canvassing act. I'm kind of thinking, well, they're always preaching about sharing the gospel, so I've got to share the gospel. No, sharing the gospel comes from a platform of love and appreciation of this great king. Go, and I will send you. Go, and I will send you. Marcus, go, and I will send you. And then you can kind of put three dots there and fill in whatever God's going to say to you, to our neighbors, to our friends, perhaps to plant churches. I love how verse 16 ends. And now, why do you wait? That's what Ananias said to Paul. Now, why do you wait? And I think it's an important encouragement for us. We know we have some kind of understanding of this gospel of the kingdom. We know our life's purpose is to share it, to be witnesses of what we've seen and heard. Why are we waiting? I, I tell you, that has got to be the biggest killer in the kingdom of God. It's amazing how we say, okay, I understand it, Marcus, but I'll do it tomorrow. Procrastination. Or somehow... The message comes across, but it's lost because of the apathy. You know, there are people groups that need to be reached with Jesus. There's neighbors that need to be reached with Jesus. Why are you waiting? Some of us haven't been baptized in water. Why are you waiting? That's what he said to Paul. Come on, Paul, you can't stop now. You've understood it. Now get baptized in water. He was filled with the Spirit, and let's get busy. Go. Why are we waiting? Why are you waiting to uh, apply this great message to all of your life? Why are you waiting to not take this message out? Why are you waiting to not enjoy him the way we should? Why are we waiting is a very important question to every single one of us. And I want to encourage us to not let apathy or lukewarmness or any of these things, procrastination, kind of get in the way. We've got a clear message to declare. And this message is the gospel of the kingdom. Let's pray together.